0: Hey folks, this is Michael, and welcome to Tatter, Episode 2. This episode features Heidi Sawyer. Heidi founded and runs a local Facebook group and website called Lewiston Rocks. It began as a forum for discussing local politics, but it's now expanded to a forum for discussion of local issues more generally. Full disclosure, I once wrote the group off as just some sort of kumbaya forum, and I actually wrote Heidi off as some sort of kumbaya leader. In retrospect, I think that that was a mistake. As I saw in doing this interview with her, Heidi is interesting, with an interesting story. In fact, I found her so interesting that I decided I had to give her two episodes. So this is actually Part One. This episode is titled Sugar, Part One. Be aware that this episode does include so-called adult language. It also touches on some very disturbing, hard memories. So be aware. This is probably not one for kids. But now, with that said, Sugar, Part One.
1: I was born in Liston and then as I would say a toddler moved to Monmouth and so I lived in Monmouth my whole um adolescence and when you graduated I graduated from Monmouth Academy and um had some stuff that prevented me from going to college and so I had to choose someplace else to live and um They were more troubled youth times, and so the good kids went to Augusta, and the bad kids went to Lewiston, right? And I went to Lewiston. And so I moved to Lewiston and then, you know, lived here. And when I met my husband and we decided to look for property and where to live, um, still I hadn't been involved in the community, but neither one of us had... um, college diplomas so we knew we had to find a house in a place that had uh, a wide circle radius to find work and Lewiston was that place and plus the homes were affordable and we got a nice little house and a quiet little suburb and you know we've been there ever since. my first sales job was working at a call center here in town and and so it was this ability to sell stuff i mean it was pills and potions didn't love the job but um i made really good money and the training was impeccable so it taught me all these sales skills and um there was a big layoff and I lost my job there. And I wanted more of a professional career, I guess, you know, what my vision of a professional career was. So I got into mortgages for a while and worked for Wells Fargo. And this was right before the bubble burst. And I remember like working during that period of time and kind of feeling yucky, you know, like Wells Fargo was very strict with their policies and I loved it, but I couldn't compete with some of these what we now know are chop shops, right, that were getting people into crazy adjustable rate mortgages. So I couldn't, like, I couldn't make ends meet. And my husband had worked in a um, woolen mill in Oxford, and he lost his job. And at 100% commission, we almost lost our home. And so um, I was working at a gas station at that point in time. And so then I ended up going to work for another call center, this time in Westbrook. They sell a great um, educational Thing through the infomercial stuff and that was a great job. And then Jobs and ME was hiring and they worked in the same building. And I said, you know, that sounds fun. Um, sounds like something that is career worthy business to business sales. And I, I worked there for 10 years and found a real passion in helping people get to work, right? Because there's nothing that has a bigger impact on people's lives than getting to work. So, um, growing up in a small town, it, my graduating class was like 35 people, right? And you either fit or you didn't. And my family was not wealthy. You know, I grew up on government cheese and peanut butter, and that shit was delicious. Can I just say, the government peanut butter is awesome. Um, kind of miss it. Um, but I was a quirky kid, I'm still, and I'm still a quirky adult. And so I can understand how maybe I didn't fit. Um, So I always kind of struggled in school. My mom is an amazing woman who she, she had a horrible choice in men, but she loved her family and she taught us to be strong and she was always there for us. She always worked two jobs and just did everything she could. I was in the kitchen, on the counter, on my knees, eating sugar directly out of the sugar jar, (laughs) because that's what, you know, quirky kids do. how old were you? I was, God, I had to have been like five, maybe. Like, I was pretty young. And I remember my sister calling my name, and so I'd run, and my father was in the room, and he'd be like, no, no, she's okay, she's okay. And so I'd run back, because then I could sneak a little bit more sugar. And that happened several times. And... You know, I didn't know then, and it wasn't until, you know, several years later that I um, found out that my father was sexually abusing my sister at that moment. And um, I remember when it, when it came out, I don't physically remember that moment of sexual abuse with my dad um, because I was too young. And, but I remember the night that she was watching an after school special. Remember back in the day with those after school specials, right? Um, and there was one about abuse, and my sister told my brother what happened to her. And all shit hit the fan, obviously, as it should. And, you know, my father went to jail, and he was not my bio father. He was my adopted father, right? My bio father died when I was very, very little. Um, so he was my adopted father. And he went to jail, and at that point in time, they knew that I had experienced abuse. and But... For my sister, it was a very vivid memory. For me, it wasn't. And so when they did all of that, they didn't persecute him really based on me, right? Because the psychologist, the story that I was always told is that the psychologist said that they would actually almost have to put me under hypnosis for me to be able to tell them what happened. And why would you want to do that? Why would you force you know, that memory. And so I, I had experienced that abuse. Um, another time later when I was 13, I was locked in my neighbor's garage and he tried to abuse me. Um, he had, he, we, I was supposed to go to Florida with him that year and I was really excited. He was an older gentleman. They were like grandparents to me and I was babysitting his, his grandkids. And I came home and I checked the mail and. Um, he, like, cat called over to me, but I just thought it was playful, right? So I went over, and he asked how my day went, and I told him. And he's like, oh, come here, I have something to show you. And he brings me into the garage, and I noticed immediately he locked the door behind him. And I, you know, a street smart kid, I knew something was up. And he started hugging me and, you know, kind of kissing my neck, and I said, I have to go. You know, and I backed up, and I'm really proud of myself for having that strength. And I went to go walk out the door, and he you think that nobody would ever say this, right? It sounds so crazy, but he was like, remember, this is our little secret. And at 13 years old, I turned around, and I looked at him, and I said, and I've seen one too many after-school specials. And I ran home down a long, you know, driveway, but nobody was home. And I had to call the police myself at 13 years old and file a sexual assault claim. And he got like a $50 fine and a $500 restraining order. And, you know, I was the talk of the town because I dressed provocatively, so I must have been asking for it. Um, But he could stand it when I'd wait out for the bus in the morning. He could stand at the end of his driveway And I would stand at the end of my driveway, and that's not 500 feet. But one morning, it was middle of winter, so it was dark, right? Um, He stood at the end of his driveway and just revved a chainsaw the whole morning. And I never rode the school bus again. So this is all, like, long, but it all plays into it. So I obviously had my stuff. I didn't fit in in school. I didn't get good grades. Um, I did this amazing life-changing program called the Maine Career Advantage where every other day I went to school and then every other day I worked for the state of Maine licensing daycares, like just clerical. I mean, I wasn't licensing, but I was doing the clerical entry and the filing. And it allotted me um, a full scholarship to Central Maine Community College. Okay. So, but everybody I worked with, uh, they were larger women I was not a larger woman, but they all seemed unsatisfied, right? And I knew that I wanted to be like a child psychologist. Like that That was my goal. I wanted to go to J- um, St. Joseph's College. I wanted to study psychology, and I wanted to be um, an advocate for kids who dealt with sexual abuse. And even though I had that full scholarship to college, I didn't, I didn't, God, this sounds so Pretentious. I didn't want to have cubicle ass, right? I was tiny and I was cute, and I didn't want to have that big old cubicle butt. And so I decided I, I was going to forego my full scholarship to Central Maine Community College to study just general business and applied for work as a nanny um, through an agency that was in Auburn, but the jobs were in Massachusetts. And so... I went through all the application process. You had to give out 20 different references of people that you had done childcare for and character rest- references. They all checked out amazing. I went down and I interviewed with several families. Um, and when we're talking about nannying, we're talking about that um, elite family, right? They have more money. They're very established. And um, there was this one family, and they were freaking amazing, right? She was, she was a doctor, and he was probably a lawyer, you know, that typical... Um, well to do family but they loved their kids they were all about their kids she was pregnant um, at the time and then they had a little daughter and so um, I accepted the job with them because I was going to make really good money. Growing up poor, I think I was going to make like $400 a week. So like, that's big money, right? And But I was going to live with them and I have the car and have all my bills paid for. And so I was going to be able to set all that $400 aside, that big money, right? Set it all aside and save money because my family was poor to be able to go to St. Joe's and be a child psychologist. Well, um, so I called and I declined my scholarship, said, I'm not going to go to Central Maine Community College. Here's my route. And um, a week before graduation, I was going down to stay with the family for a weekend to start getting acclimated because I was supposed to leave the day after graduation to move in with them. So I went down, and the mom was away, and the dad was there. And I got along with the daughter very well. We played. We had a lot of fun. And I remember the car ride. We were going to Bugaboo Creek. It was down in, like, Lynn... There's Linfield and Lynn. Lynn is more the rough area in Massachusetts, right? So it was Linfield. Um, We were going to Bugaboo Creek, and he asked me about my past. Now, my mom raised us to be honest, like to be almost brutally honest. And I had nothing to hide, and I wasn't ashamed. And so I said, you know, I was a victim of child abuse, and so I am a strong advocate against child abuse. And... He asked why, and I told him. And um, my grandmother worked for AWAP at the time, and I told him about that, and everything was fine, copacetic. Go home. Um, And then that Tuesday morning, I got a call. I had a little Mickey Mouse phone, and I answered it in my bedroom. And it was the agency, and they were rescinding the job offer. And I asked why, and they said, it's because you were a victim of abuse. And that studies show that people that have experienced abuse are more likely to abuse children. So at that point in time, I'm 18 years old, and I feel like my whole life caving in on me. And they, you know, I argued with them, and I was like, but I, if I was likely to abuse a child, A, wouldn't it have come through on all these references? B, wouldn't it, like, would I have told you I was an advocate against child abuse? And they said, you know, well, we get it, blah, blah, blah. And so, like, time went on, like a day or two went on. They, the agency went back to the family, and the family came back, and they said, well, we'll do it on a trial basis. And then my ego kind of got in the way. My ego and then also kind of my logic was like, you know, I don't know that I want that job now because if the little girl falls and she gets a bruise, you're immediately going to assume that I beat her. And and who wants to live under that microscope? Um, so, I lost my scholarship to college. I, you know, have now have this impression that I'm never going to be a good parent. I'm never going to be a good child advocate, and so it's soul crushing. So, that summer, like terrible depression, drugs, drinking, everything. It was it was a really dark, dark place in my life. Um, And that's when I moved to Lewiston, honestly, right? And so there was that whole thing. Good kids moved to Augusta, bad kids moved to Lewiston, right? I was obviously bad apple. I didn't fit in with anyone at school. I um,
0: didn't get good grades. Just to clarify, are you saying other people thought you were a bad apple or you actually thought yourself that as well?
1: I think it was both. I think... um, I was misunderstood a lot, and I obviously annoying, you know. <laughs> like, I have some quirks, I'm not going to deny, um, but I didn't fit. And then because of all this stuff, it made me think that I was a bad apple, you know. So I moved out here, and I met great people, like the people that I lived with and socialized with. They're not bad people. They're rough around the edges, but they're, you know, not bad people. And so for a couple of years, I, you know— was in a depression and did things that I'm not proud of and um, that I met my husband and my whole life turned around and I'm everything now that I ever wanted to be. Um, so yeah, like, so that's, that's my dark and dirty.
0: So you're a parent now. Mm-hmm. How many kids do you have? One. One? One. Yeah, he's 17. He's 17. So are there ways that you clearly see that your parenting style has been affected by either being a victim of uh, sexual abuse and assault uh, or also having this remarkable opportunity slip through your fingers Are there any ways in which those experiences have affected the way that you are a a parent now?
1: I, I mean, I guess, of course. You know, I think what really affected me is knowing to the core that I was a good person and knowing that I bring unique thoughts and unique ideas to the table and really wanting my son to be his authentic self. And... Somehow I raised a super non-conformist. Like, he he amazes me every day. Like, he's quirky um, in different ways than I was. He's quirky. He's st- tall and strong. And, like, he, I always cared what people think about me. I still, to this day, care what people think about me. He doesn't give a shit. Like, he just does <laughs> for not... It, for example? Anything. Like, how he dresses. Like, he wears plaid on plaid. Like... <laughs> Like, I would be so like, oh, my God, they're going to pick on me. He does not care. I always, you know, we, jo- we joke a lot. You know, you know, I'm involved in local politics, and um, that's its own craziness. But I always laugh with him and say, you know, you'd make a great politician because you're so strong and you don't care. Like, you're open in your balance. But if somebody called you a name, it doesn't impact him. And last night was funny. He had gone out with his friends, and uh, it just happened in the middle of the night, get up and go down. He was supposed to spend the night, but he came home. And so he came home just the same time I came downstairs. And we just had one of those lovely conversations from, like, 12 a.m. to 2 a.m. Like, I mean, which 17-year-old who's like, yeah, let's chill with Mom and say everything that's up? Well, those are those perfect moments. And, you know, it's, it's great to hear him say things like, I know I'm going to be successful. Like, I, he's like, it's not going to be success as everybody else defines it, but I'm going to be successful. I'm going to think outside of the box and I'm going to do good things. And while you might not see it on his transcript, you know that it's there and you can't quite put your finger on it. And I think some of that is my parenting and my flexibility to appreciate him for who he is versus what everybody thinks he should be, um, that internal desire from me to try to accept everyone regardless whether I agree with them or not but because I know what it's like to not be accepted and and to have false narratives put out about you like that's I don't know it's hard
0: So that may actually provide a natural transition into a set of questions I have about your work with uh, the Lewiston Rocks uh, Facebook page, Lewiston Rocks website.
1: Yeah, get so, that audible sigh. In.
0: <laughs> so, well, before I ask my prepared questions, what, what's that sigh about?
1: You know, today has been a rough day, and you know. You and I have had disagreements on Lewiston Rocks. I don't even know that you follow it anymore. I think we had a disagreement, and you were gone. That's fine. Uh, um.
0: full, full disclosure, <laughs> I, I lurk. So I You're not the only one. Um
1: Lewiston Rocks is a it's an interesting beat. It's something I'm so proud of all the time. Something that gives me great joy and also great pain and sorrow at the same time. Um I've always I've never voted straight party line like I never have, Um, but I've always leaned conservative. And I think some of that is, you know, growing up in small town, Maine. Right. Um, Some of that is knowing that nobody handed me anything ever. You know, nobody came and asked my opinion. You just you get up, you go to work and you just keep fighting. You know and and I was raised to not be a victim, you know, like I know I got emotional, and I told you all those things, and I could easily position myself all the time as a victim because I was, um, but it was my determination to get past that and move forward and succeed despite everybody else and so that has led to some of my more conservative beliefs um, as far as government 's involvement in people 's life so Started Rocks. um, Originally, um, full disclosure, it started because I was helping somebody um, or not somebody as a few people with the school committee campaign. Nobody ever paid attention to school committee. Right. And we all know the schools are like a shit show in so many ways right now. Everybody's talking about education. But locally, school committee is like this afterthought. They pay attention to the mayor, which is a weak position, right? It's all about the mayor and then all about city council and like, oh, yeah, I guess I should check a box here, right? So um, I saw some behaviors of a local official that I didn't really like, like that was really cutting to people that spoke up at meetings. And I didn't like him, period. And so somebody threw their hat in the ring. And my, my first initial message was, um, if you can just tell me you're not a racist, I will vote for you.
0: (laughs) Honestly, like
1: that was the first message and said, nope, not a racist. Great. That's all I need to know. Right. And so supported their campaign and knew we like I was their social media manager and um So I decided to, We a group of us sat at Tim Horton's and we talked about how can we get people to pay attention to the school committee. We talked about doing like a press conference at DeFriends Plaza and no one's going to show up to that, right? But everybody's on social media and people are talking about education on social media and they're talking about their kids. So, well, also, like I'm nobody and all of a sudden I know all these elected officials, like I'm this gritty little girl from Monmouth with no education and, um, or barely any education. And I know the leaders of our community. If I can build a relationship with them, so should everybody else. And so the harebrained idea to create this Lewiston rocks the vote at this point in time came up. And, you know, I will say it, it was always to be true to the method of building relationships and being kind. Period. I know that we have really intense conversations that we need to have, very controversial conversations that we need to have, but we can't have that if everybody is just taking jabs at each other all the time. Like, we don't get anywhere. So I started that, and that was during the mayoral election two years ago. Started good. It was nice for a couple of weeks. And then it was a shit show, and I lost so much sleep. Like, people... I understand, are super passionate about some certain issues. And there are very clear sides left and right. And there's clear purposes on both the left and the right, why people believe the way they do. Um, And it was funny because it was, I'm pretty moderate in my belief. I've always leaned right, but I'm still pretty moderate. But I was called uh, super right-wing people by the left and I was called a progressive liberal from people on the right whenever you would challenge how they approach their questioning and answering. Because, again, I wanted everyone to feel welcome. Like, we're not going to get there. I'm always accused of it being a groupthink or Heidi's Minions or um, all kinds of nonsense. But we're never going to get anywhere, ever, if we don't have all voices at the table. But we can't have all voices at the table, and I won't be a part of anything that is so publicly gross. Like, I won't do that. It's not good for the city's image. Quite frankly, it's not good for my personal image. I'm not about any of that. So, yeah, I have strong opinions on things. I do, without question. And some are probably controversial. But I am not going to just allow people to attack one another i'm not going to do it i don't care if you're right i don't care if you're left because it's hurtful and we're all far more complex than one belief that might be controversial so that's lewiston rocks
0: when you talk about those things i'm reminded of uh, the one time that i remember when i was still actually a member of lewiston yeah. rocks when you and i had a disagreement because yeah. um, I had posted a, cart- a, a, a cartoon. Oh, a meme that was a political. Is it is a cartoon? It was an example of political satire. I don't recall. The yes, I it, do. Yeah, it a, I don't it remember
1: a, which one it was. It was a yeah. map.
0: Um, it, it was a map that was deliberately incorrect, and in that it had, I think, it had the United States on the perimeter, and then inside of it. Uh, continents from around the rest of the globe that were obviously, if you understand geography, obviously bigger than the U.S. Right. Uh, but the point of the meme was to make light of people's uh, ignorance of geography. And P.S. I'm
1: ignorant of geography, so
0: well, many, <laughs> many, many of us are, myself included. Uh, but um, if I recall correctly, I don't think you deleted it, but you and other commenters took me to task for poking for posting it, if I recall correctly.
1: So I think I, I, I can see what you're saying. And, you know, I think it was later in the season, mm-hmm. right? And what was happening is everyone, like, I don't want to piss people off. And I guess I still am that little child that wants everybody to like me. And so, like, when people were crying foul about censorship. Like, I tried to be more careful about what was deleted and what wasn't deleted because I didn't know. I guess, you know, my own ignorance is like, okay, well, is censorship illegal? Like, I don't know. You know, like, so... Well, but
0: I guess, I, what, what I want to know is, let's, let's stick to yeah. political satire. Is, is political satire where the goal is to not be nice but actually ridicule um, uh, a political position or a political figure... Um, is political satire off limits uh, at Lewiston Rock?
1: I would like it to be off limits. Yeah, because because what I see and and gifs or gifs whatever they're called now yeah, is yeah. like a big thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Generally speaking, all it does is end up fueling divisiveness, right? Really? Like it, from my perspective, or or some it, it just. People can't handle it, right? Like, I don't think that you intended for it to create divisiveness, if I remember. it, I don't think that anybody, when they do it, intends to create divisiveness. But that's exactly what ends up happening. People are like, that's wrong. Or then it just becomes a satire war, right? So for every thing you post, then I'm going to post something that's, you know... Meme worthy and awesome against you that says it like that's what people do, and it just becomes one giant pissing contest and is nothing but noise.
0: Well, so,
1: um, are we gonna fight now? Let's fight. Well, I,
0: don't know fight but I do have uh, some questions. One of which is um, Are you sure that political satire creates? Divisiveness, or does it simply reveal divisions that are already there?
1: Probably the latter. Okay. But it, when posted on rocks, it creates an environment to to bring attention to that divide. And I want to try to bring people together, not divide them. But I'm, you know, I'm one of those people that my thoughts evolve all the time. I've often been called a flip-flopper, you know, because my thoughts are constantly evolving. And so, I would love to live in a world where people could handle satire and not get offended. Right? But people get offended and then the noise happens. Like, I I wish, like, well, if I would...
0: supposed to offend the targets. Like, it's... Right, like but do you not like to be me.
1: offended?
0: Uh, <laughs> well, if someone makes fun of me, and I realize that they have a point, I would like to think that even though it doesn't feel good to be mocked, if I realize they have a point, I hope that that will motivate me to, to change. So if you, if you make a joke of which I'm the butt and you're making fun of my ignorance and I realize, oh, shit, yeah, I am totally ignorant on that issue. I hope that will motivate I hope that gets my attention. I don't know. I think it just,
1: I think, no? yes, I, 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 I agree. But it depends on the strength of your individual confidence. So, like, if you're a person that is insecure or lacking self-confidence, it might just create an environment where you're going to get more defensive or you're going to get hurt or you're not going to engage in conversation, Mm -hmm. right? And so we live in a world where we talk all the time about children being bullied and being bullies, and I guess I, I, I see a lot of it coming it, to me, it's just unproductive. It's funny. I see political satire memes all the time. Some of that shit is funny. Like, I like it. But on rocks, right? I feel like there's so many places that yeah. you can go and have those conversations and use your memes. Like, I try not to cuss on rocks. But as you can tell, I have the mouth of a sailor. Um, <laughs> and it's really light right here because I'm mic'd, so of course. Um But why can't there just be one place where we put all that aside and not put out people's ignorances, but try to get to the point where we try to understand why they believe the way they do. There there are many reasons why I believe the things that I do. And I need to be open to hearing from different people um, their perspectives Because it will help my thoughts evolve. Like, let's go to another super controversial issue. I used to get so offended by the word white privilege or the term white privilege. Always got super offended. Like, F you. Like, I grew up on government peanut butter. I have been a victim of awful things. Nobody handed me in. How am I privileged? Right? Because my term of privilege is silver spoon. Right? So if you keep coming at me with your white privilege, your white privilege, but you don't explain to me what white privilege is, right? Um, I I look at it now as white advantage. Like if I walk out of Walmart, and it's not just white, it's like how you carry yourself and what you wear and all of that. If I walk out of Walmart and I have a vacuum cleaner in my car, right? Because they can't fit in a bag, I've gone through, I am far less likely to get stopped by the greeter to check my receipt, right? Then somebody who is of color, like, and I now recognize that because there's been people on rocks that have been willing to have that conversation without making me feel like a fool. Once you've made me feel like a fool, I'm going to get defensive and I'm going to shut you out. And I'm not going to listen to you because you've embarrassed me. And it's hurt my feelings and I don't like it. And that's some people,
0: so, um, tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds as if um, you would love it if Lewis and Rocks were a place where uh, everyone in the community could gather and have uh, a kind conversation and not make anyone feel like a fool. But if someone like me, who thrives on that kind <laughs> of abrasive exchange, says, oh, That sounds boring, I don't want to be a part of that, you're okay losing me. As long as you can maintain this space as a place where those people who might uh, otherwise shut down because they feel belittled, they feel that this is a place where they can actually have a conversation. You're, you're okay losing the people like me who want more of that abrasive back and forth. Yeah. Because it's possible you might not be able to keep a space. Right. And if you have to choose, it sounds like you'd rather have those folks who are a little, who want a, a safe space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. And you're okay losing the people like me. Is that is that right?
1: It is. It is because I feel like there's so many places for the people like you, right? Because like media outlets don't want censorship and they want hundreds of people commenting on everything because it sells more clicks and more likes and more money and blah 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 blah. There's all those places. I want one place, just one, where I want you to come. But I also want you to learn, like, it's that growth Ooh, opportunity. <laughs> okay. it's, it's that growth opportunity to say, you know what? I'm doing, what did we have for a voter turnout in Lewiston? Like, what is voter turnout, right? It's, it's usually pretty abysmal. And we wonder why people are disengaged.
0: Dising- of
1: course, yeah. right. Um, but, we talk about people being, I can't even think of the word, like, I feel stupid again, but like disenfranchised from the political process. Apathetic. Apathetic thank you. That is exactly the word. They, we wonder why they are. It's not because they don't care, but they've just learned to tune it out because like both statements from both extremes or those that get more aggressive just tend to confuse people and we don't know who's telling the truth, Right. Hillary's Hillary's corrupt and Trump is corrupt like so you're both saying you're both corrupt so why the hell am i going to show up and vote for either of you right but you might think that Hillary's not corrupt and there's a lot of false narratives put out about her and the Trump people might think that Trump's not corrupt and there's a lot of false narratives being put i want to like stop with the with the narratives and just get down to base facts so that and and trust that the people in our community are able to make a good decision based solely on facts.
0: So that's it for sugar part one. Thanks again, Heidi, for the interview. Also, as folks can see, if you visit, Lewiston Rocks, I have come back to the fold. I've rejoined. So, Heidi, thanks for letting me back in. Also, Tatter listeners, to hear the next episode, which will be Sugar Part Two, check back the morning of Sunday, November 5th. For now, thanks for listening and be well.